For the rest of us, we're going to continue the series titled, Why? And uh, we'll look at the subject this morning of why we call men to step up. You may be asking already, step up to what? Step up and be God's man. When I uh, sometimes officiate weddings, I will challenge that young man who's getting married that you're no longer going to be just one of the boys. It's time to be God's man for this woman that you're marrying. And so many men refuse to step up and be God's man. They choose to be or try to continue to be one of the boys rather than being God's man. What does it mean to be God's man? Why do we call men to step up and be God's man? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. And we'll talk about that whole idea of transitioning from finding our identity in Adam, the first man, to finding our identity in the God-man, Christ Jesus, who was called the second Adam. So if you've got your place there, Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 12 through 21, and then we'll pay some attention to the previous verses there in the passage. Thank you for standing as we read the Word of God together. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin... In this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law. It's talking about the fact that Adam sinned and every generation sinned up until Moses received the law. He says, sin was not charged to one's account when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned. There were still consequences from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He, Adam, is a prototype of the coming one. In other words, we are, we're finding our identity in him as we would one day be able to find our identity in Christ. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. And the gift is not like the one man's sin because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of the grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one Righteous act is life-giving justification for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, thank you for this understanding of your word that as Paul elaborated on what was taking place in the old covenant to prepare us to understand our need for a new covenant, a better covenant, a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that as men we can today find our identity not in the first 
Adam, but in the second Adam, through faith and by grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. These kids that walked out, they're at a fun age. How many of you dads remember when your kids were at an age, and some of them are still there, where they would ask questions all the time? Remember that? Always asking questions. It's like, good night. And, and, and typically, moms know what dad says on a lot of those questions, right? Go ask your mom. I, I remember, you know, you know thinking uh, one time when my kids asked my mom a, a theological question, I was thinking, well, you know, why don't they come to dad with that question? And then it hit me is because they didn't want to know that much. They just wanted a quick answer. They didn't want a dissertation. Um, a little boy was asking his father, about a five-year-old boy was asking his, his father to tell him a bedside, bedtime story, and he said, Dad, tell me a scary story. Can you do that, Dad? Can you, can you tell me a scary bedtime story? And Dad was like reluctant to tell a scary story at bedtime, but he said, okay, son, I've got a scary story. He said, one day, your mom got big and little people came out of her belly and these little people started asking questions all the time like that. To which the little boy replied, why? <laughs> Kids do that. They ask questions. And uh, as a dad, you probably enjoy that sometimes more than others. But as believers, we should ask questions from time to time. And we should know why it is we believe what we believe, and we should know why we call men to step up. I believe where there are homes that are successful in seeing families for the most part, I'm speaking proverbially here, but seeing the children and generations follow Jesus Christ, it's usually because there's a man in the house that models that. And at the same time, churches that make an impact on the kingdom of God have men of God who step up as spiritual leaders and be God's man. Now, as we pointed out on Mother's Day and at all times, we should thank God for the women in our lives. We stand equally in the eyes of God and value. There's neither male nor female when it comes to salvation and service value, but we have different responsibilities and different roles. And when you see churches and families making an eternal difference, often it's when men step up to the plate and be the men of God that God's called them to be. Now, in this passage, Paul is referencing creation. He's getting into the old covenant and its purpose and its plan and God's eternal plan of redemption and how it would be, as Paul would later refer to as a schoolmaster, driving us to the need for the gospel. One of the problems with some of the teaching that's going around today that kind of says, unhitch yourself from the Old Testament or pastor's you're not going to make a difference uh, trying to reach a new generation if you're talking about the Old Testament. One of the problems is the Old Testament, beginning with creation itself and, and the fall of man, is what contextualizes and prepares us and, and prepares the soul for everything we learn in the New Testament. When you look at creation, when you look at the fall, when you look at the revealing of the law and the purpose of the law, when you look at some of what we might call the scary horror stories of the Old Testament that might cause people to say, man, that kind of God scares me. All of that is necessary to point us to our desperate need 
in the desperate state of all mankind when it comes to our hunger for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love that was showed us and the necessity of a cross in the gospel itself. Adam reveals to us how mankind falls short. Jesus, as the God-man, reveals to us how we can now be restored as men of God, and though we will not be the God-man, and God forgive us for our egos and sometimes having a Messiah complex, while we are not called to be the God-man, we are called to be men of God. We're called to be God's man, to step up and be God's man in the world. So what Paul was presenting here to the Romans and everything up into this point, showing us how, yes, God has always desired a relationship under the old covenant where it's revealed to us again and again how we fall short and how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and God's standards and God's laws. But now through Christ, we can be what God has called and desired us to be. And so to answer that question, why we call men to step up, first of all, let me say this, God's man is redeemed from the curse of sin. Looking back at those first few verses, because of Jesus, God's man is redeemed from the curse of sin. And I want you to see in this text that not only does Jesus redeem us, but he models for us a life of redemption. And so in verse 12, it says, just as sin entered through the one man and death through sin, in this in this way, death spread to all men because all have sinned. He's already articulated that very clearly. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin was not charged to one's account when there was no law. He's not saying there were not consequences to sin, but there was not a clear understanding. Man was somewhat naive in his sin as the law was orally being given and eventually would be recorded by Moses. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Again, speaking of those consequences, you say, wait a minute, on the day that Adam ate of the tree, he didn't physically die, did he? No, but he spiritually died, and that started the process of physical death. All of us then identified with Adam from the moment of birth, identified with Adam's death. In other words, you are born spiritually dead, in need of a Savior, in need of being made alive in Christ. And so death reigned until even the new covenant was in place because Adam was a, a prototype. What does it mean by that? It Does it mean that he's a good representative of Christ only in the way that all of humanity, because Adam would be the father of all humanity, all humanity would find their identity in Adam as father until they could be redeemed through faith in Christ. Even in the old covenant, I believe, according to Hebrews, looking forward to a better covenant, it was faith, salvation by grace through faith, looking forward to what God would do in Christ just as we look forward or we look back on that in the process. We are born with an identity in Adam, and that identity makes us rebels against Almighty God. We are born in rebellion against the God who created us and desires that we walk in fellowship with him. And so Adam is later given a responsibility to lead 
the home back, but we need redemption to take place. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, you come to this passage about uh, permitting not a woman to teach or have authority over men in the house of God. That word teach has to do with being in a continual position of teaching. We would be um, naive to think we're not going to learn from the women in our lives like we learn from the men and that there are going to be those Deborahs who arise a mother in Israel that we thank God for. But when it came to a position of, of continual teaching or spiritual authority, he calls men to do that and he gives a creation order there. And then he says that it was the woman who was deceived and not the man. And a lot of times as men, we read that, and we almost get a little arrogant, like, ha-ha, the woman was deceived, Eve was deceived, and not the man. But in fact, the verse is an indictment on men and not on women. What do we mean by that? I mean that Adam was given the law clearly, straightforwardly, the word on not eating from the tree before the woman was ever created. And once she was created then, it was his job to lead with the word he had received, and he failed. The woman was deceived, the Bible says. She was tricked by the devil himself. Adam was not deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he chose to rebel. And the identity in Adam is what causes us all to live in this state of rebellion. And just as we are identified With Adam in that curse, we have a need to be identified with Christ in redemption. This passivity of Adam led us to a bondage to sin, the curse of sin. It often is seen in that curse today. Adam was there when Eve took of the fruit. He did not lead with the word that he had been given concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he was passive and ultimately rebellious in the midst of that. And then Jesus comes on the scene not only to redeem us through the cross, but to reveal what the redeemed life looks like, that that we can move in this life through Jesus from our identity being with Adam, passive and rebellious, to identifying with Christ having been redeemed and now being redemptive in our nature. And so we have this this need to step up as God's man because God's man is redeemed from the curse of sin, the curse of passivity, and the curse of rebellion. Paul will get in Romans chapter 7 to talking about the frustration of being able to live the life that God's called us to live, and he's saying, listen, There are things that I don't want to do, and those are the things I find myself doing. And then in Romans chapter 8, he begins to talk about, wait a minute, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus now because the law of the Spirit of truth and life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now I can walk in the Spirit, and the righteous requirements, Romans 8, 4, of the law can be fulfilled or fully met in me as I walk in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So in Christ and through his spirit living in me now, I don't have to live a life of frustration. Through my identity in Christ, I can live a life of fulfillment. There are so many men in this world today that are either passive or abusive. Passive or rebellious in nature, sometimes both, because they have never moved their identity from that of Adam to that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they live unfulfilled lives.
hearts. And they demonstrate that sometimes by talking about the glory days or the good old days, always talking about the past, right? Well, I remember when I was young. Anybody heard your dad say that? I remember when we used to, and and things always used to be better. But the fulfilled life always looks to the future. I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who said, (laughs) don't turn to him for most of your theology, please. But I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who once said, you can tell the best year of your father's life because typically they, they take the clothing style of that year and ride it out the rest of their life, right? And so for most men, it's looking back to a time in the past. These were the good days. These were the glory days. But the fulfilled man of God, I believe, says the best is yet to come. God's man is no longer bound by Adam's identity. And when it talks about this grace that we've received in Christ in abundance, keep in mind that Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Since you're going to get all this grace in abundance, do we just say, well, then in that case, I can glorify God with my sin because more sin means more grace. And he says, God forbid, how can we that have died to sin live in it any longer? We've been made alive in Christ. You get into Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, it says we are more than victorious. We are more than conquerors in Christ. And when we don't get this, when we don't understand this, and when we don't grow in our sanctification, our identity with Christ, and, and, and we try to hold on to the flesh and that identity with Adam, we continue in passivity We continue in that abusive and rebellious mentality. The the passive man is one who will not work to provide for himself or for his family. He will not commit to his marriage. He will not lead his kids. He's sometimes apart from them and never with them. And sometimes he has all of those things in place, but he is passive spiritually. And there's no passion or priority for worship and the things of God in the church of Jesus Christ. And so that passivity is is an act of neglect. At other times, this man who identifies with Adam rather than being passive is more abusive. He becomes the workaholic workaholic or the tyrant or the the insecure controlling male, the, the legalistic man who... In his faith, even if he is involved in church, he becomes so legalistic and a tyrant and a browbeater who makes the things of God look burdensome rather than the freeing life that it really is and should be. God's man is redeemed from that curse. And not only is he redeemed, he leads redemptively, which leads us to a second point this morning. God's man is responsible for his realm of influence. God's man is responsible for his realm of influence. Both both Adam and Christ influenced the world in a particular direction. Look at the difference here, verse 15. The gift is not like the trespass. Now, you'll see the word trespass or transgression in some translations here again and again in these verses in the Greek, it's peripipto. It means a falling away. We get our word apostasy to, 
to fall away, to, to lead people astray from God. And so he said, Adam led men and mankind to fall away. By one man's trespass, many died. How much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace, God's unmerited favor, right, of the one man, Jesus Christ. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, a different word than the word trespass. To sin means to miss the mark. The point is that Adam missed the mark, but Jesus nailed it. Jesus, with his life, his death, his resurrection, was spot on obedient to the heavenly father because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation but from the many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification making us just as if we had never sinned whenever you see that word justification keep in mind to justify is to make you just as if you had never sinned we can beat ourselves up with guilt men because all of us have things in our life and in our past that we are ashamed of, and we don't have to remain in that identity with Adam, that, that guilt that the devil would keep you beat down with today, and at any time we confess our sins and come clean before God in a spirit of repentance, embrace our identity in Jesus Christ, we are free from that law of sin and death and that identity with Adam. And so since by one man's trespass, verse 17, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive the overflow of the grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Adam is influencing his world with death. Jesus is influencing this world with life. So then, as through the one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, there is Life-giving justification for everyone. Jesus' realm of influence was for whosoever will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, for just as through one man's disobedience, Adam was disobedient to God, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus has influenced each of us. We are made righteous in him, and we become men of influence. We become God's man of influence in this world, and we take responsibility for that influence. God's man never says, my sin's not hurting anybody but me, because we know that our sin influences those around us. And our righteous acts in the same way. As we walk with God, we inspire a generation to come to walk with God. Adam influenced his world toward falling away from God. God's man takes the responsibility of leading people to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus took responsibility, listen, when legally he would have had the right not to. Legally, Jesus could have said, I'm not dying for them. I am fully God, and I am the Son of God. I am God the Son. But he instead made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, becoming obedient. This is one of our themes that Pastor Ben presented at Kids Camp this, this summer. We can find our identity in the one. We can let this attitude or this mindset be in us that was in Christ Jesus, laying aside his legal rights 
for the sake of reconciliation. He was responsible for his realm of influence. There was a young man by the name of John Getty back in the middle of the 19th century. He wanted to be a missionary. He had been inspired by some people that when he was living in Canada from the um, London Missionary Society. And he wanted particularly to maybe go to an unreached people group and one that had been identified where no Christians had gone was an island far from here in the South Pacific, somewhere between Australia and Fiji. If I can pronounce the island right, it's a natium. <laughs> and there were no Christians on this island. And he went and he spent time learning how to do mission work and eventually made his way to this, this island and he began to translate Matthew's gospel. He began to translate the gospel of Mark into this anatium language that the people there spoke. He began to see people come to salvation. He began to build a church there and make disciples. And one thing that's been recorded in a monument to him that can be found on the island of Anatium says this. When John Getty arrived in 1848, there were no Christians on the island of Anatium. When he departed in 1872, there were no heathens. What a thing to be said. What an influence. And you might say, well, I don't know, Pastor, that God's called me to be in a missionary and go to an island of unreached people and win everybody on that island to Christ so that every home is a Christian home. I don't know that God's called me to do that, but he has given you a place of influence. It is your home. It is your workplace. It is your community. And he has called us to leave those places and be responsible for influence in those places leaving them saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's man takes up his cross daily. God's man is crucified with Christ, as Paul said. Therefore, we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And that's why we call men to step up and be God's man. God's man seeks to influence his children and their friends. The other kids that they go to school with and play ball with, he wants to be a man of influence in all of those venues. He wants to represent his Lord and his church in this world. That's God's man. And finally, I want you to see that God's man is rewarded for his life of faith. God's man is rewarded for his life of faith. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. It says, the law came along to multiply trespass really to do what? Show us that it was already there. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, don't understand me to say that you are being rewarded for your works of righteousness. That Faith that leads to righteousness is by grace because of what Jesus has done for you, not what you can do for yourself. That's the gospel. But just as Jesus was rewarded, so one day we will be rewarded for him by his grace 
And we're called to add things to that faith along the way. Jesus didn't just secure through his death a resurrection and an exaltation. He also brought salvation to many others and called us to a life, Paul would say, as Christ's ambassadors. We're called to be men of God and bringing reconciliation into the world. We're God's agents of reconciliation, helping others come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we grow in grace, we become more fruitful in that endeavor. It's the evidence in our life. I want you to look at 2 Peter. This fisherman pastor here now in the church as he's writing this. An apostle of God telling the church, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, toward the end of your Bible there, for his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. Now that we're finding our identity in Jesus and not in Adam, we have this divine power living within us. By these he is giving us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. In other words, verse 4 is reminding us again, our identity is not in Adam, it's not in our flesh. Our identity is now in Jesus Christ, and we're living according to his spirit. For this very reason, he says, make every effort. Remember, you're saved by grace through faith. That faith's not even of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works lest any man should boast. But if you are saved by grace through faith, you're his workmanship, so now you've got some work to do. And men of God do not shy away from this work, he says, for this reason, make every effort, it's work, to supplement your faith with goodness, your goodness with knowledge, your knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This looks very similar to the fruit of the Spirit. And so our efforts are to yield ourselves to the Spirit's work in this life, God's man being filled with the Spirit of God, sharing in the nature of Christ, influencing our world for Christ and in his power. Four, verse eight, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful. They will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As a man of God, we do not want to be useless, <laughs> worthless, unfruitful. We don't want to be salt that has lost its savor, its saltiness. And so we're working to add these things, yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God, saying, God, make my life Fruitful, let me be a man of influence. Who wrote this letter? Peter. Who was Peter? Remember, he was that fisherman. If there was ever in the New Testament, in the Gospels, if there was ever a redneck for Jesus, it was Peter. Remember, he could open mouth and insert foot in a heartbeat. And he did so on many occasions. And he was the one who would say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus would say, well said, Peter. And Peter would say, guys, did you hear that, man? I'm the, I'm the, I'm the star student. And then before you, 
get past that context in Scripture. Peter's saying, we'll never let you down across Jesus. And Jesus is saying, get thee behind me, Satan. He's like, what? He just said that I made the statement on which you were going to build your church, and now you're calling me Satan? But Peter had a love for Christ. And I don't think Peter would ever forget the words, follow me, Peter. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. I know you enjoy fishing, or at least you work hard at it and do it for a living. Peter, you're a man's man. And listen, the problem with Peter was not that he was a strong man, a man's man, all of those things. That wasn't his problem. The problem is that he had to die to his flesh and come alive in Christ. And Jesus wanted him to make, be fruitful in the most important areas. And so he said, Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Speaking to Peter and certainly Andrew and James and John, the other disciples. Follow me and I will make you. In other words, Peter, I'm glad you're a man's man. I'm glad you're a strong man. But listen, if we can take how God created you, save it, redeem it, fill it with the Holy Spirit of God, and cause you to, as a man now, realign your priorities so that you're not just about the things that men of this world are concerned with. Now you're about the things that the God of heaven is concerned with. Then you'll be a, a great man of God who will do great things. See, Peter just needed his passions and his priorities rearranged to be fishers of men. And to every man who wants to step up this morning and be God's man, I want to ask you, do you need to add these things to your faith so that you can step up? Do you need to rearrange your passions and priorities? Listen, I, I know there are a lot of things that we enjoy doing as men that we say, man, real men are about these things. But if our identity is no longer in Adam, it's now in Christ, then we'll want to be fishers of men. We'll want to lead our families to be people of faith our workplace, our community will want to step up and be God's man, be fishers of men and be fruitful in this life. Men, when you leave this morning, we're not just giving you this topwater bait so that maybe you'll catch that big one. If you do, I hope it serves as a great reminder that God's called you to be fishers of men but we're giving you this gift this morning. And, and by the way, not just because 80% of you wouldn't read the book that we passed out. Might pass out a book next year, but we're giving you this to remind you that we're all called to reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to influence our world, to leave here as fishers of men, to rearrange our passion and our priorities. So when you put that lure on a hook, or on a string when you fish with it, or whether you place it on a desk or stick it with a magnet to a refrigerator, wherever you put it, may it serve as a reminder. God's called us to rearrange our passions and our priorities and be fishers of men. Leave this world better than we found it. That's what God's man is called to step up to do. Let's pray.